0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered, listener
1: supported. Community Radio from South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Cade Young.
1: And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB local news for Friday, May 1st, 2020.
2: Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Braden Lentz reports what plans Indiana colleges have in store for the fall 2020 semester.
1: Also coming up in the next half hour, you will hear remote reports from our news correspondents Jake Jacobson, Katrine Bruner, and Braden Lentz. More on that later, but first, your local headlines.
2: In the last two weeks, Indiana saw 815 new positive cases and 55 new deaths from COVID-19. This brings the total positive case count to 18,630 people, with over 1,000 total deaths. Monroe County has 126 total positive cases and 8 deaths from coronavirus. Over 1,200 people have been tested. State officials said earlier this week that Indiana will continue to withhold COVID 19 nursing home data from the public. Instead, the state will accept self reported numbers from the nursing homes themselves. Governor Eric Holcomb said incorrectly that nursing homes are private businesses. According to an investigative report in the Indy Star, more than 90 percent of Indiana's nursing homes are owned by county hospitals, which operate under local governments. Advocates say Governor Eric Holcomb's statement, quote, reeks of cronyism, end quote. Tyson Fresh Meats plant in Logansport plans to reopen after almost 150 employees of the plant tested positive for coronavirus. The plant will continue limited production next week after a tour with health and government officials, according to a news release.
1: The Monroe County Council approved a resolution to temporarily freeze the hiring of full and part-time staff in Monroe County government during their April 28th work session meeting. Councilmember Kate Wills said the ordinance is to maintain county operational costs during COVID-19.
3: Monroe County is predict- predicted to experience short and long-term revenue reductions due to the economic impact of the global novel coronavirus 2019 COVID-19 pandemic. And whereas COVID-19 has already resulted in unanticipated and increased expenses for Monroe County, such as that on April 14, 2020, the council approved a half million dollar rainy day appropriation request. And whereas the extent of the revenue reductions and increased expenses caused by COVID-19 is not fully known at this time, but the council wishes to take immediate steps to mitigate the negative effects on Monroe County, our employees, and our constituents. Wilt said the resolution is effective
1: until July 1st, 2020. She said departmental written requests for hires can be presented to the county council for consideration. Councilmember Jeff McKim questioned about positions funded by grants.
4: But there's the issue of grants, uh, positions that are funded by grants. And, uh, you know, sometimes those, most of the time, those grants are not going to be fungible with anything else that we do. And we might be in a position where we're giving up the opportunity or we're actually having to give money back because we don't hire. Now, we could... A, categorically exclude grant-funded positions from this policy, or we could simply, since we've already got an appeals policy or process in the uh, proposed uh, hiring freeze, we could just essentially, you know, we can assume that we're going to get a whole bunch of departments that have grant-funded positions that are vacant that want to hire them, and we'll just have to schedule a special meeting and just, you know, approve them um, one by one. We could do it either way, and I don't, I don't know what, uh, I guess I'd like to hear what everybody else thinks about how to handle them.
1: Wilt said the county would not see a significant number of grant positions over the two months in which the resolution is effective. Councilmember Trent Deckard asked about temporary part-time hires, such as election poll workers. Councilmember Eric Spoonmore said there would be some flexibility.
5: So
0: I think, and and my the way I'm looking at this, the, the resolution allows them the flexibility that they need to hire. Folks, I think we've made it pretty clear here, we don't want to tie their hands and being able to uh, onboard those temporary election folks. Um, they're not going to be permanent, you know, part-time
4: positions or anything like that. So,
1: Spoonmore said the council will entertain any other departmental hire requests. Council members unanimously passed the resolution.
2: Inside Indiana Business reported, a Bloomington facility was tapped for COVID-19 vaccine manufacturing. Catalent Incorporated made a deal with a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson for a large-scale manufacturing of the company's lead vaccine candidate for COVID-19. Within this deal stands a joint investment for the production at the Catalent Biologics facility in Bloomington. Catalent says it will add 300 jobs starting in late summer. The Bloomington location currently employs over 1,200 people.
1: The Bloomington City Council held a 2021 budget-advanced meeting on April 29. During the meeting, City Controller Jeff Underwood said the Government Finance Association recommends maintenance of operating expenditures for a minimum of two months. He said Bloomington has maintained reserves to fund the budget even under a four-month period of no revenue. Deputy Mayor Mick Reneisen said COVID-19 will have impacts on the budget.
6: And then some actions to date that we've listed on here that we've already asked our department heads to do is um, in 2020, if you can limit spending, uh, wait till the end of the year for some of the expenses and see how this plays out. uh, Department heads are already looking at doing that. We've also asked them to create plans based on possible reductions of anywhere from 5 to 20 percent for this year's budget. Doesn't mean we'll implement those. Hopefully we won't have to, but we wanna be ready for that to have uh, ready to have a plan at hand. So if we need to make some, some quick decisions, we can do those. So department heads are working on that. And as you know, by now, we probably would have asked you for 2019 reversion uh, spending, reallocating those funds. And we have not done that. And we will not do that till the end of the year. So we have some potential to react to any of the upcoming COVID-19 related challenges that we might face in the coming months.
1: Underwood said the revenue impacts are just beginning. He said the revenue estimated loss from April through July for parking meters alone is about $800,000. He said food and beverage revenue loss is estimated at about 80%. Underwood said unemployment claims will also cost the city more than projected.
0: The other side effect is uh, unemployment claims. Uh, these are uh um, we are a pay-as-we-incur, essentially. Uh, most businesses are assigned a uh, physical percentage that they pay on a quarterly basis up to uh, $9,000 of the first uh, salaries of each individual. Uh, governments are as uh, pay-as-you-go. So uh, if we have a successful uh, claim uh, as that gets paid, then we get billed by the state and pay that out. Uh, and we're estimating right now that the current claims amount is. Uh, That's claims. That's not necessarily what will get adjudicated. Uh, But just to give you a budgeted amount for the year is $24,000, so significantly uh, higher.
1: Underwood said food and beverage revenue loss could delay financial coverage for the convention center expansion. Councilmember Matt Flaherty asked Underwood if the city plans to spend any reserved funds.
2: Do you anticipate eating into that reserve strategically in some cases, uh, or depending on the context? In order to to weather certain shortfalls or delays in revenue, uh, we,
0: as the mayor said, we will look strategically, and as I've said and 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 uh, Mick said, is we will look strategically at each department and each fund uh, and make decisions based on what's the best for the citizens. So it could be that we dip into reserves. Uh, to utilize that and then try to build those back up over time. Uh, You know, at one point we were we're down, uh, we had negative balances uh, during Cruzan administration. We were at around 22 to 24 percent and we've slowly built that back up. So uh, the idea behind that is two two months is kind of the minimum that we would backstop. But if we need to utilize those funds, uh, we will. Uh, And then we'll have a plan to build those back up.
1: Underwood said 80% of the general account income is from property and local option income taxes. Council members then shared their 2021 budget priorities. Flaherty said he wants to prioritize the climate crisis and economic health through the transportation sector. Council member Kate Rosenberger also prioritized non-motorized forms of transportation. Council member Dave Rallo said the food economy should be the focus.
5: My recommendation uh, to the administration this year is to direct city resources to bear on relocalization, but particularly of the of the food economy. Uh, I think expanding local food system as a priority uh, uh, should be done. I think that it it is we could take it could take the form of setting a goal of pr- providing 5% of our food locally within the next two years. Uh, we would need a strategic plan. Of course, that would be incremental. We could, we could increase further in the years ahead. Um, and it would also address our local economic recovery uh, by redirecting priorities in that in that fashion.
1: Rollo said this would protect farmland and cut carbon emissions. Councilmember Isabel Piedmont Smith said the curbside leaf pickup program should be cut. And she would like to see an expansion of the Center Stone Partnership. Councilmember Susan Sandberg encouraged prioritizing basic city services and staffing. Councilmember Jim Sims focused on equity, wealth, and housing. Councilmember Sue Gambolieri prioritized core services, economic stabilization, affordability, and core neighborhoods. Councilmember Ron Smith focused on community health.
0: Uh, Indiana's bad with. Diabetes—they're bad with health care outcomes. They're bad with infant mortality. Let's use this opportunity, um, and so uh, this crisis has really brought them to the fore for me. Is let's let's see what we can do with helping uh, the health in in our community. The other thing that dovetails right into that is. I do think the climate crisis is incredibly important, and something we need to really address. So let's, let's. It's you got 20 million opportunities, but the transportation issue in Bloomington seems to be really ripe for us.
1: Councilmember Steven Volan also supported prioritizing transportation and housing affordability. The final adoption of the budget and salary ordinances is scheduled for October 14th, 2020.
2: The deadline to register to vote in the June 2nd primary election is Monday, May 4th. Voters may register to vote and check the status of their registration record online using the state's portal. In-person voting options will be available, but the recommended way to vote is to cast an absentee ballot by mail. First, you need to complete an absentee ballot application. Early voting at the Monroe County Election Central Office will be available from May 26 to June 1st at 401 West 7th Street.
1: WFHB correspondent Katrine Bruner reports on seeking medical treatment for non-COVID-19 emergency visits. We turn to Katrine for more on this story.
7: The Bloomington Herald Times posted Monday on the issue of citizens hesitating to get immediate care from ER and health facilities out of the fear of getting the COVID-19 virus. According to Dr. Brad Dubois of Reed Health Hospital, the risk is not as great as many people may think right now. Du Bois said, quote, People aren't seeking emergency care because they are afraid they are going to catch the virus. The risk of catching this at the hospital is extremely low. It would be much greater going to the gas station or the grocery store, End quote. MD and Reed Health emergency physician Sam Iden also reported, quote, we have seen cases of stroke, heart attack, gastrointestinal emergencies, and respiratory emergencies who have all delayed their care and potentially worsened their outcome. End quote. He explained that the main concern here is people who are suffering symptoms and could endanger themselves by not seeking immediate care from professionals. In recent months, health systems have reported a decline seen with non-COVID-19 emergency visits, and officials believe that this is in correlation to people's fears of getting the virus. Doctor and cardiologist John McGinty said in response to people risking their health in fear of being exposed to the virus, quote, Delaying treatment for a heart attack or stroke can be the difference between life and death, and for the extent of recovery that can be achieved. The risks associated with delaying of care for a heart attack include worsening heart damage causing congestive heart failure or potentially death." End quote. Dr. McGinty went on to say quote, "No one with an emergency should hesitate to seek care. Don't let the fear of COVID-19 cause you or a loved one to suffer or even lose their life because of delaying or failing to seek care." End quote. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner.
2: Up next, WFHB correspondent Alex Dieterer has a report from home.
3: Before the pandemic, Patty Russo had planned a 60th birthday party at the Lotus Fire Bay for her husband Chuck, complete with attendance from friends and family from all over the country. Instead, on Wednesday, she planned a walkthrough of the Indiana University campus with 48 stops of Chuck's favorite landmarks. Each landmark had participants waiting for him at safe distance with signs or blowing horns, dancing, cheering, and singing. Even the local choir group Sing for Joy performed a four-part harmony of Happy Birthday on the IU Auditorium steps. 20 evangelical churches in Indiana will be awarded $500,000 from a settlement between American Electric Power and the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to install solar panels and cut energy use by 25%. The settlement also included an agreement by AEP to invest $3.5 million to improve air quality and to reduce pollution in Indiana through various projects. In addition, these 20 churches will host at least 26 energy conservation and solar workshops across the state for 200 additional churches. As Tammy Clark was scrolling through Help Our Seniors Thrive 2020, a private Facebook group, she had an idea. According to the Herald Times, Clark said, quote, I personally was just thinking it would be really, really amazing to see yard signs out in all the seniors' yards, out in the community, supporting the class of 2020, quote. With a senior daughter at Bloomington High School South, Clark enlisted the help of Jill Smith and Mike Richardson of Fast Signs of Bloomington. Volunteers sporting gloves and masks passed out nearly 250 signs for the Class of 2020. The Indiana Family and Social Services Administration will introduce pandemic-specific aid and grocery delivery access to individuals receiving federal food assistance. This is an effort to alleviate the effects of COVID-19 on these Hoosiers. According to Secretary of Indiana FSSA Jennifer Sullivan, since mid-March, Supplement Nutrition Assistance Program applications have increased by 253 percent, and temporary assistance for needy families have increased by 209 percent. Beginning later this month, populations who are considered high-risk can have their groceries delivered using SNAP benefits. After 20 days on a ventilator battling COVID-19, 49-year-old Jerry Hall was taken off, by Dr. Eric Trueblood and had only one request, quote, get me out of here, end quote. Tuesday, her wish was granted as she exited the hospital on her way to a rehabilitation hospital to regain her strength, greeted by 75 hospital nurses, doctors, and staff that applauded her as she departed. For WFHB, I'm Alex Dieterer.
2: Up next, WFHB news correspondent Braden Lentz outlines what colleges in Indiana will do in the fall. Indiana University and Purdue University debate whether they should reopen for the fall 2020 semester. For more on the story, we turn to Braden Luntz.
5: After closing their doors back in mid-February the students and faculty, Indiana and Purdue Universities are closing in on new ideas on how to appropriately open schools for the fall semester in the wake of the COVID-19 outbreak. Purdue University President Mitch Daniels announced on Tuesday the possibility of opening all classes on site at Purdue's West Lafayette locations this fall while keeping a 15 feet distance. According to The Hill, Mitch Daniels was hopeful students could follow health protocols to keep others safe. After calling the virus our greatest enemy at a university congressional hearing, he went on to say, quote, We have every intention of being on campus this fall. We are sober about the challenges that will bring, and we believe in the value of the on-campus experience, and we're determined if we're permitted to by the public authorities and medical circumstances. If at all possible, we intend to be open and operating, end quote. In a separate letter to the press, Daniels suggested measures to be taken to adopt safety plans for students coming in the fall. The list includes spreading out class schedules to reduce the size of those classes, increasing the waves for online instructional options, and making students and staff be tested for infection while monitoring results. Critics have accused Daniels of being, quote, money hungry and willing to do whatever it takes to get people sick." Across the United States, colleges are weighing the options of how classes will soon operate as the virus has made many colleges struggle financially. Congress has recently allowed struggling colleges to be allocated more than $14 billion in higher education funding through the CARES Act. Critics have called the sum of money, quote, woefully inadequate. End quote. Lyon College President W. Joseph King discussed on NPR that he was, quote, 50 50 on whether the fall semester looks normal. Regardless of whether the school reopens virtually or offers in person classes, there will still be a financial toll from the coronavirus closures, end quote. However, many universities are willing to reopen campuses for the fall of 2020, despite concerns from health experts about a second wave of coronavirus coming this fall to early winter. These universities willing to open are Brown University, the University of Missouri, the University of Clemson in South Carolina, the University of Mary Washington in Virginia, and William Jewell College in Missouri. Indiana University is yet to release a statement for what classes will look like under the new normal. But according to IU spokesman Chuck Carney and IU President Michael McRobbie, the possibility of IU reopening its campus will take time, but the university said it is willing to listen to health care experts on what solution is right. For WFHB,
2: I am Braden Lentz, and stay safe. Governor Eric Holcomb announced in his Friday briefing Indiana will start reopening amid the coronavirus pandemic. Governor Holcomb discussed next measured steps concerning the stay-at-home order. Holcomb said the state will reopen with four guiding principles. One, monitor the number of hospitalized COVID-19 patients. Two, retain the capacity to treat a surge of patients. Three, have the ability to test all Hoosiers who are symptomatic with COVID-19. And four, have the ability to contract trace all cases. Now, with an excerpt from today's briefing, Governor Holcomb
6: explains these four guidelines. We will follow four guiding principles to determine how plans to reopen various sectors of the economy move forward. First, that the number of hospitalized COVID-19 patients statewide has decreased for 14 days. Our current data shows us that as a state, COVID patient admissions have decreased the past two weeks. Second, that the state retain its surge capacity for critical care beds and ventilators. Currently, statewide ICU bed and vent availability has remained above 40% and 70% respectively for the last two weeks. Personal Protective Equipment, or PPE, is critical for businesses as they resume operations with masks in particular demand. The state is working with Hoosier companies that have already converted their lines of work to PPE or currently supply such materials. We're developing the Indiana Small Business PPE Marketplace to provide reliable access to PPE for small businesses that need help to comply with this new safe workplace precautions. Businesses and nonprofit entities with fewer than 150 employees and registered to do business in Indiana will be eligible. More details on this program will be forthcoming. In addition, we will be distributing $300 million to counties, cities, and towns via a population-based formula, which is the first installment from the Coronavirus Relief Fund. The third principle is that we can test all Hoosiers who are COVID-19 symptomatic. At the outset of the virus, Indiana deployed a dozen strike teams to congregate settings, especially nursing homes, to quickly respond to suspected COVID cases. These teams will continue to play a vital role in keeping Indiana on track and will focus on detecting new cases as early as possible. To help in the early detection of new cases, the state has partnered with OptumServe. To add 50 testing locations in strategically located parts of the state, these sites will enable over 100,000 more Hoosiers to get tested per month and aid in the early detection of new cases. Hoosier employers, employees, and consumers can have confidence anyone concerned they may be sick due to their symptoms or having been in contact with someone who is, will have the ability to get tested. Which leads me to my fourth and our guiding principle for getting Indiana back on track, which is to contact all individuals who test positive for COVID-19 and expand contact tracing. We will aggressively track new cases through a centralized contact tracing program to help slow the spread of the virus. While ISDH, the state health department, in cooperation with local health departments, has engaged in contact tracing since the first positive case of COVID-19 was reported in early March, centralized contact tracing will begin May 11th.
2: He also announced next steps in a five stage roadmap for reopening the economy with an official ready to reopen date of Independence Day, July 4th, although this date is subject to change. Stage 1 includes the time until today when the governor first issued a stay at home order and essential businesses were forced to close. Several counties with more prevalent cases of coronavirus will act under Stage 1, while other counties will move on to Stage 2. These counties include Marion County. Lake County, and Cass County, all with respective dates where they are allowed to move into Stage 2. Stage 2 begins May 4th. Stage 2 will ease more restrictions. Social gatherings are permitted, but only up to 25 people. Restaurants will reopen at 25% capacity on May 11th. Essential travel restrictions will also be lifted. State government offices will begin to open with limited interaction with the public. Remaining manufacturers who were not considered essential Will also reopen. Retailers will also begin to reopen under 50% capacity. Shopping malls may also open at 50% capacity, with indoor common areas at 25% capacity. Restaurants and bars that serve food will start opening May 11th at 50% capacity. Bar seating will remain closed. Office settings are encouraged to continue working remotely. Indoor religious services may continue and are now allowed to have more than 10 people to attend. Those 65 and older and more at-risk people are asked to stay at home. Social distancing guidelines still apply. Stage 3 is set to begin May 24th. At-risk people will be allowed to venture out cautiously. Social gatherings of up to 100 people may occur. Pools, playgrounds, campgrounds, and gyms will reopen with restrictions. Stage 4 begins on June 14th. Face coverings will be optional. Zoos and museums can reopen at 50% capacity. State government buildings will reopen. Dining room service will increase to 75% capacity. Recreational sports can resume at 50% capacity. Large venues can open using social distancing guidelines. Retail stores and malls can open at full capacity without social distancing in Stage 4. Stage 5 begins on Independence Day, July 4th. In this stage, fairs festivals, and sporting events will resume. Retailers and restaurants will expand to full capacity. Amusement and water park restrictions will be lifted. In this stage, the decision to reopen schools for the fall 2020 semester will be made. We will have more extensive coverage on Governor Holcomb's announcement during next week's local news. For WFHB, I'm Cade Young. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Katrine Bruner, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our features were produced by Brayden Lentz and Cade Young.
1: Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman.
2: And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast, as well as other WFHB news programming, online at wfhb.org.
1: You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org.
2: Stay tuned for Kite Line, a program amplifying the voices of those within Indiana's prison system, coming up next on WFHB.